Got it. Hi, everybody. How are you doing today? Welcome to another episode of Comedians Exposed. I'm Deanna Kobe, and this is the podcast where comedians talk about vulnerability. I have a very funny guest today. He is the host of the podcast Laugh and Learn with Vern. Uh, in addition, we got to do a very fun roast battle um, right before Christmas. It was super fun. What we're going to talk about. Please welcome today to Comedians Exposed, Eric Bernstein. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to. I'm excited to be here. It's been a couple of weeks, and I'm lazy in editing with you yeah. on my podcast. Well, I'm a comedian. Well, am I supposed to be motivated or something? I don't no. know. Okay, no. First of all, editing so exhausting like especially if you are like you know limited in production and who you know what I mean if you're one person doing the whole shebang editing is a lot so don't beat yourself up on editing and comedians too in addition think about all the other time we have to devote to doing comedy like I'm very much a defendant because we have to go to mics you have to write jokes you have to edit the jokes listen to the jokes and then if you're doing a podcast it's like you only got so many hours in a day. So approach yeah. yourself from a place of love, my friend. <laughs> Start a podcast, they said. They didn't mention editing the podcast or it's it's an interesting process. The whole thing. I like it, though, because it builds multiple skills. You don't you got to obviously do some comedy and be somewhat funny at points, but you have to reach out to people. You have to. So there is a sales aspect to it, and you, that's any, a skill that's good in life. The editing is tedious as it is at times. I think, and I don't know how you are with this, but I've started to learn like where like certain parameters of the talk where like I won't ask certain things because I'm like, if that goes off the rails, I don't want to edit it. So, I, but at the same time that I'm limiting myself a little yeah. bit, so I got to figure that one out. The, the laziness of not wanting to edit versus the expansiveness of the conversation. See, I approach editing from a place of high anxiety, you know, <laughs> doing it, um, doing a podcast, first of all, is very uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's really bizarre. It's like, Hey, everyone, look at me. I'm recording myself and you should all listen, right? Yeah. That to me is uncomfortable. But then on top of that, like, then there's this layer of when you're having people on that you're going to talk with, and then you have the power of the edit. Like, oh my God, that's too much. I don't want to wield that much power. So what I have shifted in doing is I now put the video out on YouTube and I just put the podcast out as is because I couldn't handle the time and the pressure of editing people. Like, yeah, <laughs> but you, I like the power. It sounds like, oh, wield the power, Eric. <laughs> I, I was very, at first I was like trying, there's a marketing aspect too. And that's another tough thing is you have to, when you re-listen to it and you get over eventually, I think it's good to hear your voice over and over again, because there is, like you said earlier, like self-love, like you need to give yourself some self-love. I think a lot of people hear themselves and they cringe or they see themselves and they cringe. So it's good to to get that practice. But I would be like, I, like at first I was like, edit the clips, do all this stuff. And I did see, I have seen as I've done less work, it is less people listening and less people watching. But at the same time, 
it's hours and hours. And like you said, you have to figure out, okay, you got to write the jokes. Got to go to the open mic. Then I'm doing the podcast. By the time you turn around, I mean, you could be, you you could literally just ignore your friends and family for years, which maybe they deserve it sometimes, but (laughs) if you like your friends and family, it's a, it's a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. And, you know, especially too, I think you got to think about like why you do it and what you're trying to get out of it. Like a big reason I like what I do for this podcast is I learn from every comedian I talk with. You know, I learned something very valuable that I could take away and use. So I love that. Also, I love the idea of finding out if other people are uncomfortable doing comedy Um, or if it's something that you're just like, no, it's so easy. It's just like whatever, you know, and you don't even sweat it. So what about for you? Are you which side are you on? Are you the cool guy or are you uh kind of like anxious like me which side pick a side <laughs> first time I did stand up was I think August 2015 mm-hmm. I had a wedding coming up and I was gonna be the best man I wrote this five minute bit and I had practiced it but not practiced it where I knew it cold I practiced it where I I kind of knew it and I had note cards I go to this mic. It's in Chicago. It's a bar called Shuba's. I, I don't know if Shuba's is still open, but they would do like a Monday night open mic. I'm like so excited. I told my then girlfriend, I'm like, I'm going to start, I'm going to do stand up. You know, the, you start telling people, you're like, I'm going to do stand up. People are like, you're going to do stand up. And it's like, I'm going to do stand up. And then you get there and you go, oh shit, I'm going to do stand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember the first time you like, walk in and there's like two people in the room and the, you're like, is this the place? And then the sign up, you, you're like, there's a sign up list. And sometimes it's only two names on there, but other times they all put their friends first. So somehow you're the third one in the room, but you're the 28th on the list. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's so like weird. It's like literally like once you, I love how you described it. Cause it's that line. Like once you cross that threshold and then you're in the world, like, but that's like that huge hurdle is getting mm-hmm. over it and saying, like telling people like, I'm going to do stand up. I was the opposite. I did stand up for a long time and didn't tell anyone. Like I was like, <laughs> I was like, you were, a closet, you were a closet comedian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was my dirty little secret. Yannick Kobe, the closet comedian. <laughs> You should, that should be your first hour special, the closet comedian. There you go. I think most of my family and friends wish I was still in the closet. Oh. <laughs> so. I got some of that. I got some of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? How do you find uh, people? Do are they supportive of you doing comedy or? Well, let me let me finish the, the first time I did it, and then oh yeah. So the supportive level, I'd say generally yes. But so first time I get there, I think I was like I don't know eighth on the list. And I was wearing this, I wore like this nice sport coat I had and I'm sitting in the audience and I'm watching people and I'm so nervous. I can feel, I feel like there's just a, like a force field of nerves around me. It's just, it's very intense. I call my name, I go up there and I start talking and I've got like the note cards. I'm not trying to look at them. And within about 30 seconds, blank just there's just nothing like there's not it's not even nerves it's just I'm staring at people like I'm looking at you you're looking at me and there's just there's nothing there it's one of the only times in my life 
there's just never been anything there. So I, I pick, I get the note cards and I start going through them. And it was this bit about ancient aliens and I can't even remember, but it, it didn't even make sense. And then finally at the end, this is, so this is what, uh, summer 2015, I think, either, or maybe summer 2016, no, summer 2016 or one of the two, the Cubs were either the Cubs were doing really good. Those two years it was one of those two years. So I just ended, I think it was 2015. So I just ended it with go Cubs. And then I got a, I got a cheer. So I go sit back down. I'm like, wow, that was, that was horrible. And then the next guy gets up or no, while I was doing it, actually someone started heckling me. He's like, nice coat. And I didn't know what to do. It's like, thanks. I, <laughs> I, I, I literally was like, I don't, this is awful. Like I'm getting heckled. I don't even know what I'm doing. And then the guy gets up there next and does his whole five to six minutes about why he should kill himself. And to this day, I'm like, I, I cannot believe I got heckled by someone who was literally going to kill themselves 20 minutes after the show. <laughs> like his life was so, well, his life was so bad that literally his whole bit was like, yeah, I deliver groceries. Like I should shoot myself in the face. And like people didn't, it was one of those like acts where you like, you don't even know if like you should laugh or like, like maybe give him a hug. It's like a little too real, buddy. <laughs> you, you've seen those, right? The, it's literally, it's like the crowd yeah. therapy. Like it was like, it was so cringe. And I, he just sat back down and I was like, I can't believe that guy who literally needs medical attention at this moment successfully heckled me. So it was a little bit motivational too. Cause I was like, I can't ever let that happen again. Now, granted, I never saw him again. So knock on wood, he actually did kind of get his life together. Cause that would be really bad, but it was just like one of those, like, I, I mean, he wasn't even trying to be funny. I don't, I couldn't even tell what he was trying to do. It was like a combination of like a weird poetry slam with like a cry for help. Yeah. And that was my first time doing stand up. I sat there for another hour. Partial, it was more like a relief. It was like, oh my, like, at that point, it was like relief. I was like, wow, I don't have to get up there and do anything again. And then I just scurried my way out and said, wow, that was terrible. So that was the first time I did it. Friends and family, for the most part, I think they are supportive in a way of like, we're supportive, but if like a crowd comes after you, we'll back you, but we are like not always going to outwardly say, do stuff. Like my girlfriend, I think she's, she's always been very supportive of the podcast. And when I do, and she actually likes when I do stand up, but I don't know. I think sometimes I do go off. The, I mean, I know I go off the rails. So I can get on political rants, all this stuff. And that's kind of a little bit when sometimes they're like, mm. but they don't, no one will ever publicly criticize me at least yet. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. That is nice. No, no one's been like, knock this crap off, man. Because I do have a, I have a fairly public position as a prosecutor and I'm also in the army. So I have, there's lines I have to tow and I try to, I try to stay away from certain topics. Especially, that's I mean, going to be hard. Oh man. I have some jokes. Well, yeah, I'm a government employee. That's the hardest part about being a government employee is not wanting to make jokes 24 seven about being a government employee because government's a shit show. So there's so much material. The comedy writes itself. And I, it's really like the, I look at government workers. It's like the best people going again, going using like the, the least it's like the, they're just like up against it all times. Like the technology is always behind in some way, shape or form. You have IT and they're always willing to help, but it's government. So at the same time, it's like, yeah, we're going to help you. But if you don't get that request in by 4.15, it's a tomorrow issue. Like no one's like, 
I mean, and maybe some people will do that, but a lot of times it's like, yeah, we're going to hustle. But like at 501, please don't reach out to me. Whereas if you're in the private sector, some people will be like, yeah, you know, I'll stay all night. I don't care. Like I'm trying to be a billionaire. You know, the, the government sectors where it's at though, who wants to be like that in the private sector where they suck your soul 24 hours a day? I will say this. My last job before this was private. Yeah. If you stayed past five and you had work to do. So once or twice a week, I would usually stay past five. I would find some way. I'd be like, all right. Cause I didn't, I was, I'm, I can be cheap. I'm a financial planner sometimes. So <laughs> I'll be like, I don't want to pay for dinner or, you know, it's cold. I don't want to deal with, you know, getting home on my own. So I would stay past five because they would pay for food and a cab home. <gasps> Yeah, it's pretty nice. So there are some perks. How long would you have to stay for? Well, the way I would work the system is I would usually get food right away at five. Yeah. And then I'd come back and eat it. And that got me to about 540. Yeah. I'd work for an hour, hour, five minutes. And then by then I could wrap everything up and then I would leave at seven and call a cab and be home by about 715. Oh my God. What a scam. Yeah, I work the system pretty good. Yeah, that's the way to do it. That's what I realized. I'm like, all these, anyone who is listening right now, if you have not already started to figure out a scam, because that's the way to do things in life, right? Comedy yeah. can be a big scam, right? Do you see that in comedy, that there's scams in comedy? I've been seeing a lot of Facebook conversations about the Bringer Show. And the what show? The Bringer Show is the debate of the bringers. Please film again. I'm not aware of uh, Well, you know, like comedy, like certain venues will offer spots in exchange. You have to bring six people and they have to buy so many drinks. Yeah. So there's a lot of rhetoric I've noticed around. Have you ever done a bringer show? I have not, but I don't know. I don't think I could get six people to show up on a Tuesday night <laughs> at like nine o'clock. What about I'm- a Saturday night or a Saturday if I lived in Chicago still, it's a hard maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. This is where the whole debacle comes in. Like Bringer shows there's a lot to it, but it's funny to see how people take these hard stances on things. And it's like, this is how it's supposed to be always. And it's like, oh my goodness. Well, I get it from a stance of we need to have people in here and mm-hmm. you need to buy, buy drinks and food. But also shouldn't you have an establishment and shouldn't you figure out a way to market the establishment where you don't need to essentially force people to spend $120? I'm just saying, well, are are we talking New York or like across the country? I think, I don't know. I thought bringers were things that happen everywhere, like all across the comedy scene. You know, it's very prevalent. See, I'm behind on the stand-up stuff. So I was doing it in Chicago for a couple of years and then I moved to Rockford, Illinois to do my prosecuting stuff. And I've only been to a couple of open mics out here. So the way I kind of look at comedy is I try to incorporate it into like everything I'm doing in my life. Yeah. I think that the stand-up only model is so tough. And I think you have to do something like what you're doing where you 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 have to give yourself a social media like a chance for the internet to pick up on your vibe. Like I, I could see, like, I think it's kind of like a give and take for me. So on the one hand, like here's my biggest issue with open mics. It's the time. And I, the comedy, I enjoy the comedy and I enjoy hearing people, 
but it's like it's a whole it's a whole night and this is the thing i would run into and i think we talked about this before but you go to an open mic and so in the in the benefit of the bringer show you bring people that would probably sit in the front row and laugh at your stuff and if you're going to record it you need you need some of that you need someone that sounds like they're enjoying your stuff mm-hmm. otherwise it's people are gonna make why why'd you put this on youtube you sound like a serial killer but on the, on the other hand if you don't have that you've got it's usually just what it's comedians in a room they're trying to the first people that go up usually are trying to get to another mic yeah and they're friends with the mc so they go first they'll get most of the laughs because everyone else who doesn't know the MC as well is stuck there listening to them. But by the time the people in the middle and the back go most of the time. So the, the front people left, they, they usually don't stay. They, they got, they got to go to another mic, right? They signed up for like four at a time because they know yeah. all the people. And then the other people, especially if they're newer, they're nervous. So a lot of times they're like writing or they're just like sitting there in their heads so you you really don't have a good audience to even gauge if your stuff is funny. Like you might have one or two people, usually the MC and then like a bartender that's like kind of around the corner. Yeah. That's really your audience. Everyone else is only in their own heads, writing their own material. They don't really care. So I'm like, okay, do I, so for someone who's not going to be doing this every night, because I just, that's not what I'm going to do. Do I want to spend five to six hours on say a, a Thursday night doing that for, for five minutes of literary feedback from two people. And the answer is usually no, or like maybe once every couple yeah. of weeks. And it's, then I, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. it's time breaking it down. And then think about the podcast. If you can get funny guests and you can do a few jokes, yeah, you can easily put out something that reaches more people and you can get feedback. And from that, like, so you and I did the roast, you were on my podcast, I'm on your podcast. Now we have more clips that we can get out to people. And so I think that you, you need to do both because it's kind of like a circular thing. Okay. I've had people on my podcast. Okay. They know people. Oh, he sounds funny. Maybe I'll maybe he should come to my mic. Oh, maybe then I'll get him on my podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think that's a better way to do it. I don't, I think that the, the old Seinfeld and, you know, the old school comedian way of doing that, especially with COVID right now, I don't, I don't think you're not utilizing the internet to your benefit. Now they didn't have the internet in the eighties, so it makes sense, but you, I think you need to be a multidimensional comedian in 2022. My curiosity though, with that, because especially the internet has created a huge platform of a way to be expressive comedically. I'm always curious, like, because I haven't had anyone yet as a guest who started off on the internet, like doing TikTok videos or Instagram, and then also do, do traditional stand-up. Like, I'm curious is what that experience is like, like for you, when you put things out there on the internet, like your podcast versus performance, traditional stand-up, is there different feelings that you get? Or are they equally... Like, first off, do you even feel nervous doing comedy? Does it not, or is there anything about it that makes you feel uncomfortable or vulnerable? Because that's really the whole crux of it. Like, does doing comedy make you feel vulnerable? Yeah, every second. Every second I'm on a mic is, <laughs> is nerve wracking. Yeah. And I try to, but I try to direct that energy now. I'm better at directing that energy towards the crowd. And I feel like I, I, I try to make it more, before it was more like I thought I was trying to tell jokes. Now it's more, 
let's have some fun together. Let's, 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 let's make this a more interactive process. And maybe that's because, well, because of COVID being more alone, like I almost want more of that interactive feeling with the crowd. Like the last time I did something was a few months ago and I really was trying to joke around with the crowd. Like they, I saw some people were really drunk and I said, yeah, something along the lines, like I'm a prosecutor and I'm like, no, don't worry. I don't, I don't do DUIs. You're fine. Or something, something like that. And Cause I saw some people were literally like falling over. I'm like, but you know, maybe don't drive home. <laughs> Joe, I, 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 I looked at it like that. I mean, I'm always nervous. It's not really, I don't know if it's like seeking approval anymore. I think it used to be more of like a seeking approval. Like I need you, like, you ever, you know, the old Jeb Bush clip where he's, where he's like, please clap. Have you seen that? Poor Jeb Bush. It was like, 20, yeah, oh. yeah, right. It was like, no. what was it? 2015. It was 2015. He was doing like a town hall and he said something and he just was like, please clap. <laughs> It, it essentially ended his campaign. It was just so, it was so, it was just like, how's that going to work? Oh man. I don't know if I have like a hole in my heart anymore that like needs the validation of, of people clapping. I'm okay with, I'm okay with bombing. I actually, I actually think if I bomb, if I start bombing, I think that might actually get me probably in a, like for me, like telling jokes is one thing, but like, it's more of like uh, it's more of a, I want to, I want an interactive feeling. I want to like bring the room up with me. Like I want to really get stuff going. Like I want to say things that are relatable. I want people in the crowd to say stuff. I want people in the crowd to come after me. Like I want to just, I want like the entire energy and the experience to be something that everyone remembers. Like I don't, I don't want someone to be like, that guy was funny. I want someone to be like, that was ridiculous. Like I want to talk to him after, like, you know, I want, I want to build up everyone in that room and I want everyone to just have a really fun time. I don't want it to be like, Oh, that guy told some good jokes. I want it to be like, that dude is ridiculous. I don't know what his deal is, but I'm going to go talk to him afterwards. Yeah. That was an experience. Yeah. I want people to have an experience. So what are some of the things that you would want yourself to do on stage to cultivate that, like you said, interacting with people, but what about other aspects? Like, um, do you see it as more of just being straight up strict crowd work in terms of you're just playing off whatever people, or like also incorporating stuff that you have written? Um, do you do yeah. physical comedy? Like you, you gotta have, I think you have to have base. You have to have something that you can get up there and talk about for, five to 10 minutes. You have to have something. You can't just like, was it Bill Burr? They said he like rants, but he said at the beginning of his career, he was just doing one or two liners. So he can, he can rant because he has that baseline skill set. So you have to have that baseline skill set. You have to be able to write jokes. You have to be able to deliver jokes. I, I did improv comedy for about, call it two years. I did the first year plus was in person and then COVID hits. So then I did zoom, which is it's okay. It's not, that's the thing about being in front of people though. Like the podcast is cool. And especially like once you and I both get famous, we have our own studios like Rogan and we have the, you know, the Deanna Kobe experience, or, you know, they have the podcast there and all that stuff. And we, ha, 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 ha. There's a certain energy to being in person that is just, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Well, that's, I think what I was going to ask you about too, because, um, again doing comedy and what you put out on the podcast like what makes you more nervous about releasing like doing an actual five minute set or just releasing an episode of your podcast 
In terms of nerves, I don't, like, I'm not nervous now. When I do the, I would say the podcast, I'm a little more nervous because I'm interviewing someone mm-hmm. and I still don't feel comfortable doing that yet. I still, I still haven't got to the part where I feel like it's just like, like you were great. It was, I think we just have a lot in common. It just, it just flows. And the rose battle helped too. Definitely doing the rose battle. I think bonds people together, you know, it's like, I'm going to make you feel like shit asshole. And then you're like, Oh, we're friends yeah. now, you know? We spent a whole week writing dirty <laughs> jokes about Frosty and, and Rudolph the Rain, you know, Red Nose Reindeer, and then performed it on open mic to 18 people. I mean, that's an experience you just can't get otherwise. It's so weird. <laughs> it's super fucking weird. It's extremely weird. And it's extremely, but that's the thing is like, you and I are the type of people that clearly want to do that kind of thing. Yeah. So we're just, we're fucking weird like that. And it's what? great. I love it. Embrace yes, embrace the weird. It's like that's what I do love about comedy. Like I've had this conversation with other comics. Like they once they started doing comedy, they met comedians and they're like, oh, I found my community. I found my people. You know, yeah. it's like this instant level of feeling comfortable with, you know, I mean, of course, it's like I'm speaking broadly here because there's yeah. still people are people are people. There's of course all kinds yeah. of weirdos. Like we talked about the homeless comedians that use the mics as therapy yeah that's i would say about 25 percent of comedians out there (laughs) there was a set this was probably i don't know three four years ago where a guy and a girl got up there and he was wearing a boa i don't know if it was performance art or what it was but he ended up wrapping it like around her neck and like pulling it like a noose and it was like one of those moments where everyone was like, is this domestic violence? I need to stop it. Or is this part of the act? And then the MC afterwards is like, okay. He, the MC handled it perfect. The MC was like, all right. Okay. Uh, next up. It was just like, because no one knew what to do. It was like yeah. so, so bizarre. And you get, you get that. But I, I think okay. to your point, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go on. I'm so sorry. What, what were you going to say? You find and this is something I find from, from comedians. They're very open and they, they're willing to go places that like, for example, any job I've ever had, you go out to lunch with someone and you get to know them a little bit. And then eventually they open up to you. But when you're in that office, it's like pulling teeth and you, and you know, these people are fun. They're interesting. And you're like, don't tell me you're good. You're not good. Nobody is just good. Are you bad? Are you sad? Are you mad? Are you thrilled? What are you? You're not good. Nobody in their right mind is like, I'm good. There's no, th- there's no such thing as good. If you're good, you're essentially as good as dead because you're just a corpse. I'm good. We're all good, right? Nobody's good. So it's like comedians will open up and be like, I'm, you know, you know what? I'm, I'm shitty because I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Or they're like, you know, it was really sweet. I did a set last week. And it was so fun. And I think I really got something going and I'm like, they'll talk to you. Most people in life are just, they're just going through the motions and it's not that they're bad. It's just that they're like, for some reason, society, well, society rant here, society wants you to just be in these boxes. Like you're not supposed to be that opinionated and you're not supposed to talk about this. And you're just like, yeah, fuck that. I don't, I think that's the worst thing ever. Like I had a, this is about, and this gets me in trouble, but whatever it's, it, it comes with the package. About 10 years ago, I had a job over a summer and I was at a, I was working at a courthouse mm-hmm. 
and I started, I don't know, I was doing some boring projects. So I start Googling stuff and I find this article about this guy who he just got arrested in Paducah, Kentucky. And at the time I was going to law school in Southern Illinois, which is kind of close to Paducah. So for some reason I was like in tune at the time with the Paducah news. I don't know why. I think I read it because it's, you should read like rural news is, is, is always hilarious. There's always something going on that you just like, what? Like big city, it's like robberies, murder, rural towns. It's like so-and-so, you know, is selling their goat. And then this guy had tried to have sex with the same horse three times. <laughs> three times i ended up doing a stand-up set on it and it did not go well i was like that guy's like the michael jordan of trying to have sex with horses why the same horse was there was he in a relationship with the horse like was he romancing the horse the horse had no comments yeah no consent from the horse so he was clearly out of line yeah he was a he was a horse rapist is what he was or an attempted horse rapist so I don't know if that's a crime in Paducah, but either way. I would assume it's a crime in Paducah. I think the citizens of Paducah wouldn't have it any other way. That's a good point. I mean, yeah. you and I, knowing what we know about Paducah, that's a good point. Those people. The Paducans. <laughs> the Paducans will not put up with that attempted horse rape one more time. <laughs> but they did. They, so they arrested him and I start giggling and someone goes, what is it? And I go. Oh, this guy just got arrested for trying to have sex with a horse for the third time. Like, what a loser. Something like that. <laughs> this office was, hold on, can you still hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think my mic. Okay. So good. But this guy, and I, I, so I start laughing about it and the whole office is quiet. I mean, this is a, I mean, this would be like a, I mean, it makes a funeral look like a kiss concert. And afterwards, a guy who worked there, I didn't know him that well. I'd been there like a month and he came up to me and he's like, that was awesome. You should have seen, he goes, cause I guess I said it. And then I was like, Oh, I'll be right back. And I wandered <laughs> off. And he said, when I left the room, people were just doing one of these, like, <laughs> could not, right. Could not believe, <sighs> could not believe what I said, but that guy ended up becoming a, a good friend of mine. And we still, we still keep in touch. And he was like, I was so glad that like I found some, he goes, the minute you said that, I'm like, we're going to get along because we're just going to get along. So I, and was that appropriate for the office? Who knows? They didn't fire me. So the answer is maybe (laughs) we'll never know. I didn't get asked to come back. So who knows? But at the same time, it's like, I would rather do that. And at least, at least now I know that's not a place for me. That's fine. My office now, do I talk about horses having sex? No, I don't. But at the same time, the other day, someone brought in a dog and everyone was cool with it. And we pet the dog and everyone was like, this is great. That's a place. That's a place for me. I like random dogs coming into offices. Do I occasionally rant about stuff? Sure. Do I kind of think about it a little bit? Yes. But it's like, that's what I couldn't, I can't work somewhere where it's super quiet and people will get all weird the minute you start talking about Paducah News. (laughs) (sighs) you know what though it's kind of an interesting analogy for what's happening um with like doing comedy right now like I know a lot of people because again there's a lot going on that people are this idea of cancel culture which you know I don't really think is real but it's a term that gets thrown around for basically like the exact expression I feel like 
of all your office mates are what people have on their faces whenever somebody who's currently being canceled. Like that was the face of the every audience at, when Whoopi Goldberg went off this week or like Joe Rogan, like you brought up Rogan. What do you think? Should Rogan be canceled? Have you heard have, the, the latest Rogan scandal? To me, I do think the cancel thing is real. Ooh. And to me, it feels like it's like a modern day kind of puritanism. Like the, the whole cancel, I think ties into, I don't totally understand it. To me, it's like, I think that a lot of people just, they're not there. I, I think that culture in, in general is kind of, it's the, it's the staring at the phone stuff. It's, you don't have enough personal interaction with people. And it's not the old, the older generation, I think is better at than, than the younger one, because, you know, people are, it's not, you don't have that contact anymore that you used to. And the pandemic is really, I think it'll take a few years to get that back. The, the whole thing bothers me to no end. The whole Whoopi Goldberg situation. I, you know, I, I don't know why anyone is talking about the Holocaust still, like in a, in a way that could get you in trouble. Like it's, it was literally 6 million people people got killed like i don't know why that's i i okay you're anthony jesselneck and that's your bit right like oh what the holocaust have to do with the dead baby like that's his thing right he is like so offensive mm -hmm. that you're like oh my gosh mm -hmm. but that's his thing but that's For me, the whole persona yeah that's how he's his money but like i don't like it's a it's it's such a horrible tragedy that like I mean, it's not like people today aren't affected by it. Like people lost their grant. I mean, you read stories about people that lost their entire families. It's horrific. And like, yeah, if that's your whole bit and you're like, so, you know, that's his thing. It's like, he's so insensitive. And you're just like, oh, like, it's like, it's like a, you, like, I laugh at his stuff because it's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe a human being is saying that. Yes. I can't believe it. Right. But for everyone else, if that's not your thing. Oh. Why go? Why why go there? Just be like, you know what? It was a tragedy. It's awful. I really don't have any other comment. Yeah, it sounded like she was coming at it from, you know, like I don't again, like for I only heard like again, I didn't even watch the clip. I heard that she said something along the lines of the, saying that the Holocaust wasn't about race, and yeah. you know, because it was like white people, but it's like. No, it was like you look at the that uh, where race the idea of race is emerging at Hitler's time, like the eugenics and all of those things. So clearly, yeah. it was about race because they were clearly trying to prove biological. Yeah. Spir yeah. The, yeah. That like essentially blonde hair, blue eyed people. That was right. the, that was like the yeah that was their thing. Yeah, it's just and it's just like one of those things where I just feel like especially like this. I think about life philosophy is like how can I keep my floor high in life, but also give myself tremendous upside. Yeah. Talking about the Holocaust, it's just really, a, to me, it's a lose-lose proposition because like, what, what do you, what is there to gain from like expounding on your thoughts on, on genocide 80 years ago? Like, I don't, under, you know what I mean? Like what, what's like the, what is the upside to, no. to having, to talking about that? I don't, I don't see it. It sounded like possibly she might have been kind of trying to compare it from like two different narratives, like of what race is in America yeah. to the narrative of race identity at that time. So it's like if you're thinking broadly and just using that term race, yeah, it's going to be different things because we're two different, you know, it's like it's not yeah. the same. It's not the same side of a different coin. It's like 
his like roots, I feel like that grew and evolved and just kind of like, it's but the same evil. It's the exact same fucking vein of evil. I don't know. It's just weird though, because I did not watch the, sh- like, I don't know how the whole thing, what came before it, what preceded it. Like, and I don't know, like, again, enough about Whoopi Goldberg. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, what the heck? Like, what, what's the point of this? And like, yeah, why why take a stand on this? Like, where are you coming from? <laughs> well, well, isn't it interesting though that when you see when clips of her online, they don't really show you any context. So to me, that's an interesting thing too. Is like where where's the content? Why is the context not being provided? Like you, yeah. Again, I don't really want to spend ten minutes watching the view. No, I, that sounds. Oh, that yeah. should be canceled. The whole fucking show. Yeah. So to me. <laughs> But it's weird that like someone who you, I mean, I'm assuming she's very, uh, she, I'm assuming she's left. She's an African-American woman. I think she's pretty outspoken about it. Like, it's weird that like, she's kind of getting canceled. Like you, who's canceling Whoopi? Well, I don't even know if she's canceled. Like she got suspended. And this is where like, who's really been canceled? Like, this is where my argument, who's been canceled? I guess it depends on how you look at it. So I would say from like, like who got taken out. So here's a good example. There was a guy, I don't even think he has a Twitter account anymore, named Ali Alexander. And he was one of the leaders of getting the, the January 6th protest. He didn't, I don't think he went in the building. I don't think he rioted, but I think he set it up. He's gone. He is gone from the internet. He used to have like close to 100,000 followers on Twitter. Yeah. He's gone. He is literally gone. Now, was he canceled or did he go, oh, this turned out really, really bad. I should probably just disappear for a little bit. So I guess that's a good question. I don't know. I haven't asked him. I don't know how to get a hold of him. He literally disappeared. So was he canceled or did he go, you know that Homer Simpson gif of like fading into the bushes? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I set up a protest. What was I? Yeah. Yeah. I have been directly culpable, but, but it's almost like you know, like giving a kid a cigarette, like, oh, I didn't think this was going to end up as did. And then you have the two-year-old smoking a pack a day in Thailand, like, oh no, come on. Um, Okay, but here's my thing. Let me be more specific then, because is he a comedian? No, he's more of a public figure. If you're talking about, okay, so I'm looking more so, because this is where like, because it's all different. If you're working, I want to specifically stay in the lane of comedy. I don't you know, know what I mean? Which comedians have really actually been canceled? It, I would say in terms of actually canceled, I can't think of any. Can you? No. And that's why I don't think cancel culture is real. And going back to Ali Alexander, he, he was a public figure that is connected to a government insurrection okay that's the outcome it's not like me saying like hey guys i don't believe that white people can't dance you know what i mean like like i'm being hyperbolic of course you know what i mean but it's like the same thing like people we unfortunately this is what drives me crazy it's like america is founded on racism like we have all kinds of fucking racist ideas like it is what it is what it is because it's like this is our system of capitalism the more we can separate like you said keep people in their boxes easier it is to sell shit to them it is you know it makes it so much easier to keep them under control so it's like this is what we've grown up with so it's like by fucking canceling people who say things like Right or wrong, I'm not saying like what Whoopi said was 
right? But I'm saying this person has had a long-standing public reputation and is now sharing something that maybe other people also fucking think in a very misdirected way. So opening the dialogue to be like, well, why do you think this? And this is why it's wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like giving people kind of a space, like not being like, you're canceled. Cause it's like, people are thinking this shit and it's like not holding having the system held more accountable because we're fucking socialized part of my language i'm really cursing we're socialized you know what i'm saying what do you think she well she apologized too yeah that's the thing i thought was really weird but she she immediately apologized she essentially immediately apologized and i don't know why we can't just leave it at that yeah yeah that's so you, you gotta there's a lot a lot to a lot to digest there in terms of comedy, has anyone really been canceled? I think the answer is no. And I'm going to caveat that with the threat, the threat of economic, essentially, I think it's essentially a threat of economic destruction is what I think keeps a lot of people more, more in line. Because if you like, look at, so we'll, we'll go to Rogan. Let's, let's go, let's transition to Rogan. Mm-hmm. Spotify, Spotify said, we, we got his back. They said that. Look, let's say, so let's say he did, let's say Spotify said no. Mm-hmm. He would go on his own, but he'd have to find, he'd have to make sure that like he could have a, like the, he'd have to have a website and all that stuff. He could probably find someone to do it, but maybe like, look at, uh, he could maybe, what if Amazon clouds, like, no, we're not going to deal with you because you're, you're a racist. And then Microsoft cloud says like, there's only a few places you can really go. And so to me, I think there is there it's, it's a threat of like, Hey, you can say whatever you want, but if you get too big and if you start saying things or having guests on your podcast that start going against some of these approved narratives, like that's the thing that drives me cra- the craziest about all this stuff is science and just life in general. Like, look at what's science and comedy are very, very much the same thing. It's trial and error. You try jokes, you either get a laugh or you don't. It's really the best kind of feedback you can get in life. Did this work? Well, yeah, people laughed. Did it work the second time? People laughed. Okay this is maybe a viable bit or, you know, whatever. Science is very similar. Okay. Did this test work? No. Okay. Did this test work? No. Okay. Well, good. We found two ways that this isn't going to work. Let's keep finding, you know, like what was it? Edison went through like a thousand or 10,000 filaments. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's bothersome that we can't have the Dr. Peter McCullough's and we can't have the you know, whoever the Dr. Malone's are on there without people being in an uproar. If they're wrong, then someone will show they're wrong. Yeah. Why, you know, they're scientists. Okay. Where's the other side of the science going? Okay. Well, they're wrong. Here's why they're wrong. And, and then we just debate those two ideas. Why does it have to be, well, they said this, they're, they're, they need to be gone. To me, when someone says something and the first reaction is they need to be punished for it, that makes me think, actually, they might actually be onto something. Because why does everyone want to get rid of them so fast? Like, that's what the whole, like, I have an old neighbor in my, in my parents' house. They have one of these signs that says, like, 
I believe science. Science isn't to be believed. Science is literally the study of skepticism. Mm-hmm. It's being, it's like there, like I've read this book right now. It's called, um, what is it? The theory of every, hold on. Uh, the beginning of infinity. And the, I, in, in the book, it's essentially like what we have now, like there are no facts. We have the best explanations. That's all we have is best explanations for now. Mm-hmm. 10 years from now, we could come out with a better explanation. Right. Like we could, like, for example, looking at the skill set you and I are building by having podcasts and doing comedy, 10 years from now, we could be hosting VR events in Singapore in the metaverse because we have a skill set where we can talk, we can communicate, we can interview, we can host, and we can tell jokes. That might be like the number one thing someone is looking for to host an, a hundred thousand person event online in the metaverse in Singapore. We have no idea where any of this is going. So it really bought. And, and that's one of the reasons I like comedy is taking it all back. Yeah. Is it's, it's the, it's, it's the scientific method verbally. It's, can you find something that can get laughs? Can you connect with the crowd? And can you deal with your own BS in your head and in your body while doing it? Yeah. To me, it's like, it is like the, it is like the ultimate challenge. It is, it is the, it is a nightly climbing Mount Olympus. Can you handle your own BS? Can you deal with their BS? And can you tie it all together in five to seven minutes succinctly with multiple punchlines? You interact with them. And then can you build off that? I don't see, honestly, there's not many things in life that are so interesting to me as can you get one person to laugh at what you wrote on a piece of paper? Yeah. No, it's super, it's wonderful. It like allows you to connect with people um, on like such a great level. Like you had talked about that early on in your podcast. Like you said, how that person at your job, you know what I mean? Like in this episode, you said how like you guys, he laughed too. And he felt like, finally, like that's how you find your people. You know what I mean? Laughter connects us. Um, Joe Rogan though, I wanted to go back to him a little bit just because... I, the question of like financial room, like didn't he sign like a billion dollar deal with Spotify? It's something like that. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, okay, like if he say Spotify released him, like, okay, then we're, we're at the point where people are billionaires. Like he would not be financially ruined. Like I think if Joe Rogan were cut loose from his deal, he still has enough of a base of Roganites that would, you know, let him build, like, look at kind of like what Trump is trying to do, like with, you know, kind of create his alternative media platform. You know what I mean? Like, I think Rogan could successfully do that. That's why it's like canceled culture. Like I, like I always get triggered by this because it's like, we got to dig deeper. We can't just say no, because other people are thinking that shit. It's like, why, why are you, why is it okay for them to say, why do they think this is funny? Like what's going on? Who is this person? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, look, we'll take it. Here's why I say financial ruin. Take it out. Take it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go up. Okay. So he's got a hundred million bucks, but let's say Spotify says no. Okay. So he's got the hundred million bucks. Yeah. If he is deemed some sort of like cancer in society, why couldn't JP Morgan say, you know what? We're not going to bank with you anymore. You're a racist. You are a far right extremist. Go take your assets somewhere else. And then he's like, oh, okay. And what if he can't find a bank? Like there's a vent. That's how, that's how I think this eventually plays out is eventually 
And now that leads into a whole conversation about cryptocurrencies and all this kind of stuff that I support. But I think that's how eventually it plays out is it starts off with, you can't do this here because you're deemed a bad person. Yeah. And then it just, and then those big companies, they don't have spines. We all know that. The higher up you get, the more you're, you, it's risk management. CEOs are essentially just risk managers. Yeah. You don't see like for every Elon that is like trying to do things and trying to be funny, there are 500 CEOs that just sit there like financial reports were good. Uh, we're really making progress. Yes, we support whatever causes in the news right now. Like, please continue to use our services. Yeah. These people are not creative. They're not innovative. They're not trying to solve any problems. They're trying not to get fired so they can get their stock price up, so they can have their options vest, so they can go go live in Singapore and eventually become, I keep saying Singapore. I don't know. Oh, there's no taxes this month. Singapore has no taxes. We had a, anyways, but uh, so to me, that's where I, so when you say financial ruin, I, you're right. You're right. And they can, they can get that money, but eventually you got to be able to get that money out. It's just decimals on It's just decimals on a screen. And unless it's the 1930s and it's the depression, you're probably not going to put hundred million bucks in your suitcase. So I, I'm toy with you on the fact that like, you get that money, you got that money, but you got to figure out a way. And, and what, you know, if you can't bank potentially down the road, what are you going to do with it? Uh, can you, you know, what, what else can you use it for? Now I don't, we're not there now. And I think the best example of this is like you said, Trump doing a social media thing, but I think Deutsche Bank canceled some of his stuff. Now there are some banks still working with him, but I think Deutsche Bank canceled them. And I think that that's kind of the concern, like, look at GoFundMe with the freedom truckers, GoFundMe deemed them as like a threat or so, GoFundMe said, we're not going to use you anymore. And then they said, uh, we're going to give the money to other causes. And then people were so mad that they said, actually, we're going to give you your money back right away. But that was, that was, that's a real thing that they, people, they had 9 million bucks, 9 million bucks. And they said, nope, we're freezing it. That happened. Like that happened literally yesterday. So I do think that there is a chance that you're going to start seeing things like that. But on the flip side, and this is what you and I should be doing on the side, we should literally be, and I, I think I'm probably more on the right than you are which is fine, but we're all trying to make money at some point. We should honestly just create, I had this idea, Freedom Bank, called Freedom Bank and say, hey, here's the deal. If you get canceled or if you like your guns and you like your first amendment, come to my bank. We're never gonna give in to any sort of protest. I could care less. We're gonna retweet funny memes and we're gonna, <laughs> and, and you can always have access to your cash. I think that's like a billion dollar idea. Just call, and, then, and then literally, here's the best part. Have a... Mine have a shooting range right next to the bank. Yeah. I know. Good and then have Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan on the whole time. I think I would, I'm the opposite. I think I wouldn't, I don't want money anymore. I'm ready to go back to bartering and living in the woods. So in fact, I, my retirement plan is a piles of beans, sir. I have thousands and thousands of dried beans because that's really where I think the future of currency is going. So you can really? get your crypto. Yeah. I'm getting my beans stack going. So who, okay. So, so you have your beans. So what, okay. Can you, okay. So let's say you have to go to an open mic that requires you to buy drinks. Are you literally going to lug a giant oh. bag of beans and oh, then put it on the table? We all know what happens for female comedians and how we get our stage time. <laughs> so is it, is, is it is there a I, I don't know anything I mean I think I know what you're hinting at but I don't act like is there a 
like for for certain like mics are guys like hey if you don't flirt with me like i'm not gonna put you on is that a real thing a hundred percent you get canceled i've gotten asked out and not gone out with the people and gotten shows reneged because of that but so, cancel culture is real for women i think it is yes for women really? who, yeah really so, yes huh i i did not i had no idea oh it's brutal Literally, and comics are a sensitive bunch of little bitches, man. Their buttholes get so tight if, you know, like, oh, no, thank you. Like, I've had people stop speaking to me. You get iced out. It's kind of isolating as a woman in comedy. So it's like, oh. So they will, so you'll, some guy, some host of a mic will say like, hey, let's grab a drink. And you're like, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then literally like just that interaction is enough to be like, you're never allowed here again. I don't know if I've ever had it that extreme, but I definitely have been, you know, have comics approach me. Oh, you're very funny. I'm going to put you on my next show. Hey, yeah. let's meet up for drinks beforehand. Sorry, I can't. No, thank you. Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, I have to take you off the show. Um I got booked once for a show that didn't book women. The club didn't have women comics. I got, yeah, they're like, oh, sorry. Well, then here's a question. Uh, Why? And, and okay, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this without myself getting in trouble, but. Canceled. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get canceled. So, canceled. so here, I mean, I, I had this thought, like, what, I forgot who it is, but there's someone who like, okay. Why did you have the thought of going? Actually, my name is not Deanna Kobe, it's Dean Kobe. And did you and just put your hair in a man bun and be like, no, no, I'm I'm actually I'm I'm a guy. I never even thought crossed my mind. Actually, which brings me to a question I wanted to ask you about too. When we did our roast battle, um, and this kind of ties to this is why I think I'm critical of cancel culture for comedians at least. Because of the fact, like, I feel like comics, we need a safe space to work through shit. You know what I mean? Like, especially to depending on what your MO is and like what you're trying to like target, you know, like some comics go out there and just want to have fun. I feel like other comics are going out there wanting to do messages and like make a bigger point, you know, and using comedy as a platform. So it's like, I do think we need to have people having a safe space. Yeah. But I also urge, I really want people to have a little bit of empathy because things change so fast. You know what I mean? Like, especially now with the internet, like I feel like part of what I think I resent about cancel culture is people are so quick to shame, but you're also like not acknowledging the fact that so many people have grown up prior to not having access to nearly as much information as people have now. So it's like, you're going to have a limited scope of what you know and how you are compared to, and it's like, you can't, you know, we have to be a little bit kind, like, and I remember doing the roast battle with you. And I remember trying, I went to go do a joke about Rudolph and like, I didn't write the joke out properly. And it came off like, because he was like gender neutral and you're like, that's okay now. And I remember like my butthole clenching, like then being like, I'm going to get canceled because you're like calling me out for like forcing Rudolph to have a gender identity. So here, so let's talk about this. So I think it's a great point. First off, I don't think, I think I just said something off the cuff. So I, so I, I support anyone that is trans. 
I a hundred percent. I don't know what that's like. Like you said, empathy, right? I can't imagine what that's like. I have, I just have no idea. But on the other hand, I feel like if you want to be accepted by everyone, you got to be able to laugh a little bit and take some jokes. And that to me is like the biggest issue with certain, like, just like, I can't. Okay. So listen, you want to be, you want to be my friend. We want to chill. Like I'm going to accept you for you. I don't care who you date. I don't care who you marry. I don't care who you bang. Like not my business. But can I not, can we not bust each other's balls a little bit? Isn't that the whole point of this? Like we need to be able to joke. So whenever I said that Rudolph thing, I didn't, you know, I trust me. I'm not trying to get you canceled. Oh, no, I just no. probably said it, right? No, but like, it was funny and it was true. Yeah. And I just, it made me think of, because especially the context, like it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just funny. Yeah. Like to me, I felt it was an interesting comparison over like, again, of what we're doing, you know? Like yeah. I wasn't prepared. I was like, I didn't realize how long it was sure. going to go. And I was fumbling and it was like, <laughs> and just word vomit came out. And then you sure. caught it. And I was like, Dang. but that's exactly it. like that's what happens you know what i mean and all it was yeah. us supposed to be stupid and goofy and it's like potentially yeah. if you look at something isolated like it could be this alternative narrative so it's like that's i think a scary part about doing comedy like i'm sure for you right especially like you said you're a prosecutor they'll take the clip and then they won't play any context and then it's like oh that's you know so that yeah you're right you can do that so if someone just Wanted to, you know, wanted to cancel you. They'll just take that clip yeah. and then send it to your employer. And they go, do you know that you employ a transphobe? And then they just send that little clip. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. And maybe they'd be like, what is this? Or like, they go, hopefully just goes to the spam mail. But yeah, it is a thought that you could take a clip. But at the same time, I know that where I work, I believe they have my back. And I believe that they would hear me out if yeah. I said, if they're like, hey, we heard you made these derogatory comments about the transgender community, I'd say, what were they? And if they and if they just send the one snippet from earlier where I, you know, I made, you know, said whatever about like, did you ever think about identifying a guy? I'd say, now listen to the next five minutes where I say, I toy sports community, I have empathy for anyone, because I can't I can't even fathom what that would be like to be like, actually my whole life has been a lie and I've kind of you know, potentially been ashamed of it. And I don't want to tell anyone. I have no idea what that's like. Right. I, I've been very lucky. I've never had that. I've never had that. But yep. at the same time, if I want to be able to joke with you, I got to be able to joke with you. And if every time I try to make a joke, someone's going to try to get me fired from my job. Well, that's not really, yeah. I don't know how excited I'm going to be to interact and want to get to know you. If there's just a ticking time bomb in the back of my head, like, yeah. I have no problem talking to you because I don't, I don't care what you say. And I don't think you care what I say. We're literally getting to know each other and it's, we're having fun. But I, I don't have this idea of like, you're going to like secretly go to my employer and go, hey, Eric's job. Like, hey, hey, US Army. Did you know this guy said this for 30 seconds on my podcast? Like, you're not going to do that. No. And but you, that's why I think it's like, you have to be able to trust people. And I think some of these, I think one of the biggest things that I hate about mainstream media is and this is just my, my worldview. I mean, everyone I meet for the most part is pretty cool. Some people I'm like, all right, I don't know what their deal is. And maybe it's something where like, I know one guy, like, you know, I have to work with him a little bit because he's, he's on the autism spectrum. He's not weird. He just on the, and thank gosh that we all know that now 20 yeah. years ago, 30 years ago. Oh, that person doesn't talk right. Or where they start screaming, like, what's their deal? Like, yeah. after, you know, weirdos. Now we're like, Oh, okay. They're autistic. Like we need to learn to communicate a little differently. Everyone, I think everyone is cool. I think everyone is funny and everyone has a cool story to tell. Everyone has a unique worldview, but you have to be able to, 
you know, build that trust and go back and forth. If again, every time I want to open up to you and if I want to try to bust you, you know, bust you up a little bit and make jokes, you, Deanna, will come back and make fun of me and that's fine. But if ever, but if I don't have that trust with you, well then it's, it's kind of like, how can I, how can we be friends? You know, like, uh, yeah, it's in, to, so to me, that's like the biggest issue in the media. You know, you've seen them. They blow out these narratives. Oh, Everything's yeah. race. It's these people are this. These people right. are that. Like, I don't think almost any one of these people are those actual people. There's a great guy. Uh, he was on Rogan. Daryl. I can't remember his last name. Daryl something. He's an African-American guy. He befriended like a th- hundred or a thousand people in the KKK. And he got a lot of them by becoming friends with him to renounce it i think daryl davis is his name he wrote a whole book on it he's amazing mm-hmm. and to, to me it's like that's the power of of free speech that's the power of comedy that's the power of these things we can do is we can we have the ability to bring people together because i think he would get he would find commonalities they would laugh about it and that's the thing that when you have the media trying to say these things, it's like, this person is probably a decent person. This person's probably a decent person. They can find some common ground. You know, you said earlier that the Capitol insurrection, I think it was more of a riot, but you know what? Also, I bet we can agree on. Yeah. A lot of people in there are really stupid and they definitely shouldn't have done what they did. And it makes everyone look like a bunch of idiots. Like, you know, the guy with the horns. was Right. We, we had we had a shaman standing up in the in the head of the United States Senate, like really not the best look we've ever for organic food as well. Don't forget the food strike for the organic food after he got arrested. Like, what? yeah, he went on a hunger strike when he was incarcerated because they didn't have organic food for him. It's well, like, that's just a failure of Whole Foods to not be closer to the prison. My gosh. Ugh. Yeah, no, I, I see. Here's the thing. You said there's so much information, right? I had no idea. I only really saw like I remember leading up to it. So I was like, I, you know, when I was doing my podcast. I was doing some pro-Trump stuff, and then through some smart people, they said, "Hey, like your rhetoric's kind of borderline." And I was trying to play a character of like this election was fraud. Like we got, you know, I was I was trying to play a character, and then luckily at the time I was kind of mad because I was like, mm. and then I'm like, you know what? Yeah. It's the best for what's going on in my life. I don't want to, I don't want people to think I'm encouraging violence. And like six weeks later, January 6th happens. And I'm like, thank God I have good people in my life that were like, Hey, you're kind of, you might be borderline crossing a line, even if you don't mean to. Thank God. Cause there I'm sitting there going, Oh fuck. I I didn't know that was going to happen. I wasn't, I, I had no idea. I remember I had some friends that were like, Hey, are you, like, is anyone going to this thing? And I was like, I'm not going to DC for some crazy Trump thing. I, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, and thank gosh, yeah. I know, I, I had no idea. I'm literally sitting there watching the news at work. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> why I deleted those episodes? So weird, so weird. But I don't. I think it's gonna get weirder. Like I, I do too. Know, especially like, yeah, I do think I like. Yeah, I mean, my friends and I keep talking like we are fairly convinced we'll be an autocracy by 2025. So it was an autocracy. I don't even know what that is. Oh, uh, not like, you know, like a dictatorship, like one ruling power, a centralized ruling power. So, you know, like what happened in, you know, Russia and Putin, he's an autocrat, Erdogan, Turkey, you know, so that they're very, it's very trendy nowadays to have autocracy. So that 
I think we're we're just right on the edge. Let we're on the edge. Oh my god! Yeah, it's gonna be wild. So I can. I let me let me give you some some uh, anti some things that I think will help. First off, even now that we have we have democratic government, we have democratic senate, uh, house, and president. Even when they do something, the courts can always can always look at it. The courts can always look at it. So we always have that buffer of the court system and even look at look at Texas with the they had their uh, the anti-abortion law. They're still looking at that and that what probably end up going to the Supreme Court. So we still we still have the courts and being someone in the court system. I can tell you firsthand. Oh, he's so cute, my, everyone. He's so cute. You like that? It's so much, so optimistic you are, Eric. The judges, the <laughs> judges are are fantastic. I know some people say there's biased judges. Everyone has some bias. We're human beings, but the ones I encounter are fantastic. They are super hard on the state, and they should be. They're yeah. super hard on the state, and they give the defendant every benefit of the doubt for the most part. And I and they should because the state is the government. So I do think that even if let's say 2024 comes and it ends up being like all Republicans, you are still going to have a judiciary and you're still going to have the ability to use that, use, use the judicial system to say, no, you can't do that. And even if you look at back 2016 through 2020, there were lawsuits against getting the, the, the wall. There were lawsuits against different things and then flip it. Right. Then you have Biden in there. People on the right are like, ah, you know, there were lawsuits about the vaccine mandates. There have been lot, you know, there's been lawsuits about that. So there, there's always, I feel like there's always a, there's always a force ready to push back. And I think you yeah. can see it. With the, so I, so I, I, I think that in this country, especially yeah. you're never, you're never going to have, you're never going to have what you have in Russia. And, and Russia was a weird one too, because obviously you had this, the 80 years of communism or whatever first, and then you had the fall of it. And then I think what you had, and I'm way over my skis here, but it was such a wild West town that I think that's how that kind of developed is you had people that came in with guns saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to take all this and we're going to do this. And then that kind of led to where they are now. We Mm -hmm. don't have that situation. The the Orthodox church too in Russia, which has a huge, you know, role, but I don't know. I mean, hopefully not. I'm hoping to, I like to, again, I just, at this point, I always kind of, Air on the side of caution. Um, you know, great for your comedy career, though. <gasps> Maybe. Hey, everybody! So you're ready for impending doom? <laughs> Get your snacks and your snuggies. Um, I want to say, Eric, it's been so great having you today as a guest. Can you do me a favor? And I completely forgot to do this in the beginning. Sure. Can you plug your social media, please? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at. E-R-I-C-V-E-R-N-S-T-E-N. She's my first last name. You can find that at Instagram. I also have a website still under construction, but this is the first time I've mentioned it. I, this is a special moment, so I'll do it. It's ericvernston.ghost, G-H-O-S-T dot I-O. So it's a decentralized website. So I'm trying to preemptively keep myself away from cancel culture. So it's a decentralized website. Eventually, I hope to earn tips and income only through cryptocurrencies on that website. It's going to be a completely a, hopefully a web three kind of experience. So you can find me on all those things. YouTube, the podcast, Laugh and Learn and Learn. It's on YouTube. It's on all podcast platforms. You can search for it. But also I got to do a quick disclaimer. This is just the, everything we talked about is my opinion, not the U.S. Army, not the Department of Defense, not officially, not unofficially. 
So yeah, I, I appreciate that. And it's really, I like, you know, I really, I really like talking to you and I love that you do this. And I hope that people, more people go into comedy because I don't know how you, and I, I want to get your take on this, but for me, it was in, I am nowhere near where I want to be and I need so much work, but just getting up there, I feel like it made my life more, it made my life. I don't know what, I guess I don't know the word. I want to say complete because that's not it, but it made me like, wow, I can't believe I did that crazy thing that I saw all the, that I grew up seeing people do. I can't believe I did that thing that like the SNL people do. Like to me, it was like such a huge, like you can do things in life. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you? What was your first time like? Uh, terrible. <laughs> Very terrible. Um, I had to do two comedy classes before. And then even then I remember like after taking two comedy classes, trying to do a mic in the city, which was paid and I had to pay my $5 and I just like went up and again, blanked out and just was like, I'm done. And the girl was like, do you want your money back? So I was like, Ooh, but I think you're, I agree with you. I feel like it elevates you in the sense because you're releasing a fear that's completely unnecessary. Like, at least that's for me. Like I was, it took me a really long time to try comedy. Um, like I said, I took two comedy classes years before I ever did an open mic. Yeah. So it was really hard and really scary. But once I did it, I was like, whoa. And I felt like just like elevated, you know, like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Like, I don't give a shit. What else can I not give a shit about, you know? And it's a fun feeling. And I encourage uh, people as well to do comedy. So I'm glad that you shared that sentiment. Yeah, it's, it's a, the feeling of I don't fucking care. You can't put a price on that. No way, sir. Who gives a fuck? Freedom. That's freedom, right? So, Eric, I want to thank you so much for being a guest today on Comedians Exposed. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you for having me, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Yeah.